without controversy, great is the mystery. There are seven mysteries to the church in the New Testament. We're going to speak about those tonight. And a mystery doesn't mean that something is difficult to understand. How many of you young youngins like a good mystery book? Have you ever read the Hardy Boys Mysteries? And uh, the books aren't really hard to understand. They're actually easy to understand. But you don't know what you don't know. You don't know until the mystery has been revealed. And that's going to be the idea behind the mysteries for the church uh, concerning this evening's lesson. You have something that's unknown. Now it becomes known. That's what the Bible is talking about in, in mysteries. And we saw it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the last verse, but now we're going to look at, there's six other ones, and we'll need 1 Corinthians 15 uh, for, the, for the second one, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and the Bible says in verse number 51, uh, in a moment, in the twink, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 51, I was reading verse 52. It says, behold, I show you a mystery. What's the mystery? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Hallelujah. Now, when you got saved, uh, it's probably the same when I got saved. We didn't know this verse. We didn't know when we got saved, when we trusted Christ, we didn't know that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we could actually be out of here. We didn't know that. That doesn't mean the truth wasn't there. That doesn't mean that that wouldn't have happened to us. It was just a mystery to us. When we finally got to 1 Corinthians 15 or we, we had someone show it to us or we heard a preacher preach on it, we're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. It was unknown, then it became known to us. Well, this was a mystery until God dispensed that truth out through Paul, and now it became known. But it wasn't known before. So that's the first mystery, or at least the second one we were looking at tonight. And that's important because look at verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, and if so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Simply put, 
if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're not going to rise from the dead. If Christ didn't die for our sins and is going to be resurrected and, and was resurrected, then we are still dead in our sins. And Paul goes on to explain, and now he reveals this mystery. Hey, did you know that there's going to come a day when your body will resurrect and you will receive a glorified body? And if you already died, you're gonna, your body's going to come up out of the grave. And if you are alive when that trump sounds, your now you're going to get that resurrected, glorified body. Now, they didn't know that. It was a mystery to them. But it's not a mystery to us anymore. It was revealed. But if you didn't have this letter, if you didn't have this inspired truth, you wouldn't have known it. <laughs> so it was unknown, and now it was known through 1 Corinthians 15. So that's, that's that mystery. Uh, the next mystery we'll look at, um, the, the third mystery is found in Romans chapter number 11. So let's turn. Romans chapter number 11, look at verse number 25. We'll find it. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 we're talking about seven mysteries uh, of the church. And here we have in verse number 25 in Romans 11. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Well, what is it? Lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, that is as written, there shall come unto Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, who is the them? Israel. When I shall take away their, who's the there? Israel, their sins. Do you need to have your sins dealt with? They were already dealt with at Calvary. Do you need a deliverer to come out of Zion? So sh uh, as it is written, there shall come. No, you've already been delivered. But Christ, the deliverer, shall come out of Zion and he shall deliver someone. Who's that? Israel. And they shall be saved. You've already been delivered <laughs> from the power of darkness. You've already have your sins paid for. And so now this mystery now is being revealed. There used to be a difference between a Jew and a Gentile, but there isn't anymore, right? Those, that wall of partition is taken down. Now there is no difference for all have sinned. Now Jews need to know that. They get upset because that was kind of the plan. God was wanting to provoke them to jealousy. So that's not a bad thing when they kind of dial up some irritation. God said he wanted to provoke them that way. So this mystery, well, look, uh, let's go back a few verses. Let's go to verse number five in Romans chapter number 11. But before we read verse number five, 
let me reiterate, it says you should be ignorant of this mystery. We read it in verse 25, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Just because Israel is blind, that doesn't mean what God has for them isn't there. They just don't what? They don't see it. They're blind, so it's a mystery because it's unknown. And so God is making this mystery now known so that we can understand it. Look at verse 5. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. Right now, Israel's blind, nationally speaking. But there's going to come a day when those blinders will come off. So, we need to know this. We're not trying to convert a nation. We already talked about all this. We are looking to now preach to individual souls about the gospel of the grace of God because we're not distinct. We're not distinguishing out one nation from another nation. We're trying to preach the gospel to all individuals in all nations. But corporately speaking or nationally speaking, right now Israel's blind once the prophetic timeline of Daniel's 70th prophetic week starts ticking again, now God's going to go back to dealing with national Israel. Right now they're blind. Okay, so that's the third mystery. Uh, and before we go on to the next one, verse 25, Romans 11, verse number 25. This is a key verse to not get caught up in replacement theology. Everybody know replacement theology basically means that the church now has replaced Israel. In other words, the promises that God gave Israel, now it's for the church. God failed, and so now the church is plan B. That's not biblical uh, that you're not rightly dividing biblical truth when you get into replacement theology. What you end up doing is what verse 25 says is, uh, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Right now they're blind, God's going to come back to deal with that nation but if you mix the two, the church and Israel, you'll end up being blind. You'll end up being wise in your own conceit. What, okay, what nation did God say he would heal their land? That's the nation of Israel. Now, it's great when Mike Pence prayed that prayer. It's great when U.S. presidents 
quote the verse, you know, heal our land. But I wrote the verse down, Second Chronicles says, if my people, which are called by my name, we're in Second Chronicles, folks, who's that written to? Who are the my people? Israel shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their what? Land. And Second Chronicles, who's God talking to? Solomon. Is Solomon the president of the United States or was Solomon a king of the nation of Israel? It's talking about Israel. Israel, their land. God promised who material prosperity? That'd be Israel. Have you prayed the prayer of Jabez to have your expand your borders, your coasts, all that? Who was that for? The nation. If we mix the two together, that's how we get into replacement theology, which I don't want us to go down that road, so we talk about those things. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 20. We'll do one more concerning Israel. Who is God promising military might to? When thou goest out, verse number one in Deuteronomy 20, to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What nation did God bring out of Egypt? Right? Verse 2, And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle, and the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day unto battle against your enemies, let not your hearts faint, Fear not, do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And if you have to go to battle, if your young boy is enlisted and you read this passage of scripture to him, fine. And you can read him the story of David and Goliath, fine. But make this spiritual application because we are not guaranteed victory in war because we're not Israel. <laughs> Do you know how we're going to win wars? We have to buy more tanks and more airplanes and more fighter jets and more ammo than the enemy. That's how we win. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you saved by the grace of God? Does it, what does Ephesians 6 say that our warfare is of? Carnal or spiritual? Spiritual. Yeah. You know what every battle we can win is? Every spiritual battle. Do you know why? Because of Ephesians 6. Because every young boy who was sent out to fight some war for the United States and their Christian mom and dad prayed for them, the Lord's going to be with you. And the Lord was with them. 
but they didn't come back on a plane alive. Was God not with them? If they were saved, God was with them. But there's no guarantee we're going to win battles. God said that nation will win every battle if they stick with me. And you know what he says to you and I? You can win every spiritual battle if you stick with my word. If you stick with me, you can't lose. But don't think you're going to go rough it up downtown. You know, that's not the idea. So that's the difference, Israel and, and, and the church. And that division between the Jews and Gentiles is now broken down. And so now we preach the gospel uh, the gospel of grace to all souls. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, watch this one. Verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 says, For the mystery of iniquity, this is our fourth mystery, doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and then the perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now this is dealing with the time, this tribulation time. And the brightness of his coming is talking about his second coming. But this mystery, verse 7, of iniquity, what is it? It's the system of corruption that is abounding. That's what it is. And the church needs to know about this mystery of iniquity. Why is apostasy... Why are people drowning in it today? Because of this verse, this mystery of iniquity. And slowly and secretly and slyly, it's this mystery of iniquity is trying to work itself into local churches, Christ church. So we got to know about this mystery of iniquity. Apostasy abounds. And we need to make sure we don't have corruption that would come in and destroy the simplicity of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I'm ready. I would trust that you are ready for the Antichrist to come on the scene. Matter of fact, it'd be great if he came on the scene right now. Do you know why? Because we'd be looking in the rearview mirror. We'd be out of here. <laughs> Okay, so I am not worried the least bit about the Antichrist showing up. Oh, great. <laughs> because all of a sudden, we're with the Lord. <laughs> but nonetheless, the mystery of iniquity doth work, and it's going to continue to work. Why is it all this apostasy? This verse. It's going to continue to work, 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 work. Now go to Revelation chapter 17 for the next one. I think it ties into this one pretty good. Revelation 17. Um, might as well get all of our verses so we have them. We'll need Proverbs 30 and Ezekiel 60, 16. Ezekiel 16. 
Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, Ezekiel 16. We're not going to be there long, but I'd like you to have them so that we can turn there together. And so Proverbs 30, Ezekiel 16, and then Revelation chapter 17. And in Revelation chapter 17... Ezekiel 16, Proverbs 30, and then Revelation 17. We'll do Revelation first. Revelation 17, look at verse 5. Here's our fifth mystery. I believe we're on the fifth one. Uh, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. If you have, if you're a mother, what does that mean you have? You have daughters, you have children, a mom has offspring. Okay. So that's a picture here. What is the offspring? She's the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now go to Proverbs 30. We'll look at that one first. His way of cross-reference, Proverbs 30. And it's verse number 15. Proverbs 30, verse number 15. The horse leech has two daughters crying, give, give. <laughs> Revelation 17 you can take an application from Proverbs 30. This horse leech that cries, give, have two daughters crying, give and give. <laughs> it's a greedy cry for more. It's people that are, it, it's never enough. It's a cry for more greed. I need more. I need more. I need more. I'm never satisfied. I need more. I need more. I need more. I'm never content. I need more. I need more. I need more. That's the horse leech. That's Mystery Babylon. More, 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 more. Greed, greed, give, give, give. Now look at Ezekiel 16. Before we go back to Revelation 17. Ezekiel 16. Look at verse 44. Behold... Everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee, saying, As is the mother, so is her daughter. And you know what you have in Revelation 17, verse 5? The mother of harlots. You know what the daughter of that is? It's the same as the mother. It's full of abominations. It's full of harlotry. It's full of the horse leech proverb of give, give, more, more. I'm never contented. Now, the other thing about this mystery, upon her forehead was, was written, a name written, Mystery Babylon. Is Babylon Rome? It isn't Rome. Now, I had this book about this thick, and I got it years ago, probably 
over a decade and a half ago. Excellent book. But one of the main premises of the book was that Revelation 17.5 was the Roman Catholic Church, which is true and not true all at the same time. The first reason it's not true is because Babylon isn't wrong. This mystery Babylon religion, give, give, more, more, I don't want God, I'm going to go whoring after other gods, adultery, harlotry, all that, it started at the Tower of Babel. And Rome, the Roman Catholic system is, yes, it is true, it is a branch off of this. But every single false religion that stands in opposition to God and his truth is part of the Babylonian system. It isn't just Rome. Mystery Babylon. What is it? It's all these mystery religions that are false and oppose God. Do you know why the church needs to know about this? So we don't get pulled into this spirit of mystery, Babylon. People wonder or have asked, you know, why do you do sermons about the Enneagram? Because of this verse. Why do you do sermons, you know, about talking about, you know, the, the witchcraft and the, and, the, and the Harry Potter and the, um, the, the religions that try to teach you to get to God through good works? Because of, because of this verse. It's all mystery Babylon. It's all false religion that's trying to get you away from God. We've got to know about it. If politics is somebody's religion, you know what that is? Mystery Babylon. And we think that our nation is somehow going to be Christianized if we get a Republican voted in. It isn't. Things are going to continue to wax worse and worse, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, until Christ comes back. In the meantime, I'm looking to vote for the one that can closest align with who I kind of think or who has deceived me into thinking that they're really a Christian. <laughs> okay? I mean, we're really pulling at straws about the point we're at nowadays. Does that make sense? But it's not like our nation is somehow going to be converted to Christianity because we got a Republican in. It's not going to happen. Folks, we are part of the most powerful organizations set up right now on this on planet Earth. It's called the New Testament Church. And we have a commission that is great. We're looking for souls. So Rome is absolutely a branch off this Babylonian system, but there are many false systems have rooted out of it. And today people are just, they're just drunk with give, give, more, more. I'm not content. I need more idols. Idols, 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 idols. Just give me more, more, more. All right, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Don't worry, I'm not going where you think I'm going. 
Ephesians chapter 5. This is a mystery. And you and I didn't know it when we got saved. And it wasn't revealed until Ephesians chapter 5, but the church needs to know about this mystery. Now we're going to start reading. We're going to read a good bit of verses all the way just about to the end. Ephesians 5, let's start reading at 21. Uh, Bible says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, verse 25, let's look at the fellows. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He loves his church. He doesn't go after other brides. He doesn't have his eye on other things. His, his eyes, his heart, he, he gave himself for the church. And so it says, husband, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There's a lot of preaching here that we can't get to tonight because we got to get to the mystery. That he might do what? Present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourish it and cherish it even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh. Marriage, it's one flesh. And of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. <laughs> but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, when you got saved, did you have any idea that your marriage or people that are married is a picture of Christ and his church, the bride? Did you have any? I didn't. <laughs> But when I read this passage and somebody taught it to me and, and I heard some preaching on it, then it started to, oh, okay. It was unknown to me, then it became known to me. Now, nobody in the book of Acts knew this. But when it was revealed through the Holy Spirit's inspiration in Ephesians chapter 5, it, the truth was there. It just it wasn't revealed yet. Now it's been revealed. Something that was unknown, now, now it is known. The union that you and I have with Christ, it resembles a marriage. 
And so this mystery here, it's not the idea of, well, I just can't understand it. No, it's the idea of, well, now it's become known to you. Now you can understand the intimacy of the union that you have as a Christian with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's a Christian woman who is tried for her faith. Uh, it's a book of martyrs, so they died for their faith. And this Christian woman, they threatened her, saying that they would take her husband away from her. All ways of trying to get someone to recant their faith. And so she replied, Christ is my husband. That's good. That's good. So they threatened her again, saying, I'll take away your child. And her response is, Christ is better than ten sons. That's double good. Christ is better to me than having ten sons. That's a Christian woman who got a hold of Ephesians 5, and that wasn't a mystery to her. <laughs> she knew the intimate union with her Savior was what was going to hold her together. And so they threatened her again. They said, we will strip you of every single one of your outward comforts. And she said, Christ is mine, and you can't strip him from me. And she died for her faith. That's somebody who got a hold of Ephesians 5 and knew the intimate union that a believer has with Christ. And you can't be separated from the love of Christ. Now, this isn't a marriage sermon, but that is the idea behind a marriage. You're not going to separate that man and that woman because that union is so intimate. And this is the reflection that a biblical marriage shows to the world. You can't separate us. Come hell or high water, you can't separate us. You could go to a, a, a across, you know, a bunch of state lines and start over and build a house and go through all the stress of everything. And, and, and what's going to stand if the marriage falls apart? You're reflecting, as a Christian, you're reflecting to the world because Christ says that, that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. You can't, leave the, you can't leave the church. You might walk out of a local church building and go somewhere else, but it's not like you leave the body of Christ. And that's the idea that the marriage down here on earth is, is supposed to show forth to the world. You're not going to separate us. We're together. It's a union. So that, that mystery, uh, that's the, this, the sixth or fifth one, I believe it was. All right, we've got to go to Colossians 1 because we've got, we've got one more. We didn't do Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Okay, verse Colossians 1, verse 25, Bible says, Colossians 1, 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Dispensation is not a time period. It's the giving out of something. 
In the Bible, when you see the word dispensation, it means you're dispensing truth. Truth is being given out. Verse number 26, uh, or, or finishing verse 25, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generation and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Okay, so what's the mystery? Even the mystery which hath been hid. Well, let's let's keep reading. Verse 27. What's this mystery? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, this mystery was not known until God dispensed it to Paul here in Colossians chapter 1. So what is the mystery? What's the mystery? It can't be the gospel. I'll show you why. Go to first go to first Corinthians. We got a mystery here that's being revealed in first or in, in Colossians chapter number one. I almost started to say first Colossians. Uh, go to first Corinthians chapter 15. But this mystery in Colossians 1, what is it? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we know the first, uh, the, the Gospels list the first four verses. Um, and then look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 9. This is Paul speaking on the Holy Spirit's inspiration. For I am the least of the apostles. That's Paul. That I'm not meet to be called an apostle. That's Paul. Because I persecuted the church of God. What is the church preaching? The gospel. What did Paul persecute? Christians, right? That were part of the the church, right? So in Colossians chapter 1, when it's talking about the mystery, it's not the mystery of the gospel because Paul was persecuting those that were preaching the gospel. Now, I have to say this because there are some folks out there, the hyper-dispensationalist folks that say, well, Paul had his own special gospel. He didn't. The mystery in Colossians 1 isn't the gospel. The gospel was already being preached. Paul persecuted Christians who were preaching the gospel. Others were preaching it. Look at verse number 11 in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, whether it were I or they, the they were preaching the same things as the I, the same thing as the I, Paul. It was the same gospel. So we preach and so ye believed. So go back to Colossians 1. So if the mystery isn't the gospel in Colossians chapter 1, what is the mystery? To whom God, verse 27 would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, the mystery is three words, Christ in you. The hope of glory. And then it goes on. Now this is a tough verse. I know I'm giving an overview. It's a tough verse because it's a sentence that starts way back in a couple of verses and runs all the way. It's like, six or seven verses, one sentence. 
But the mystery that the church needs to, needs they don't need to know. They know it now because it's in Colossians 1. And that you probably didn't know, and I, and I didn't know when I first got saved, is this. Wait, Christ lives in me? <laughs> that's the mystery that's being revealed to Paul in Colossians chapter number 1. And the church needs to know that. It was unknown, now it's known. Now when you got saved, guess who came and indwelled in you? The Holy Spirit. That's Christ living in you. Now, Isaiah, you may have not have known that, but nonetheless, Christ lived in you. Once you read Colossians 1, oh, wow, Christ lives in me. Christ liveth in me. Yeah, now it became known. And so the church needs to know that mystery. And it's this, by believing the gospel, by Repenting toward God and putting your full faith and trust in Christ. When you're saved, here's the mystery. Christ comes to live within you. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. That's good. That's good. I'm sure all of you already knew that, but there's a lot of Christians, baby Christians, that they don't know that. So they need to be taught. And I'll wrap up with that in a minute. Go to First Timothy, uh, yeah, First Timothy three, and we'll wrap up here. We started with the first mystery, and we ran through seven of them. In First Timothy three sixteen, this mystery of godliness, there's seven parts to it. The first one, it's and without controversy. That's number one. Great is the mystery of godliness. Here's the second part of it. God was manifest in the flesh. It was unknown. We talked about this last week. You couldn't figure that out in a million years if you tried. But it was unknown that it was known. Was it prophesied in the Old Testament? Guess what? The flesh showed up on the scene. The word became flesh. It was a mystery, but it wasn't anymore once Christ showed up. It was unknown, then it became Known. He was, he was there. Third part is, there's seven parts to it. He was justified in the spirit. Number four, seen of angels. Number five, preached unto Gentiles. Number six, believed on in the world. And number seven, received up in glory. Now, I thought that was pretty good. You got seven mysteries for the church. And then in 1 Timothy 3.16, this mystery of godliness, there's seven parts to it. What does that mean? Just to me, that's pretty cool. That's what that means to me. <laughs> now, why uh, is this so important? We'll do one more verse to close this out. 1 Corinthians 4. I wanted to go through these mysteries because ultimately of this verse, 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the what? Mysteries of God. You know why it's so important that the church knows about these mysteries? Because its ministers and its preachers must uphold them and teach them. And he says right here, moreover, 
Verse 2, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And you know what the stewards are in context and relation to? Verse number one, stewards of the mysteries of God. And in 2 Timothy, when we get there, he says, Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, you're going to commit these to faithful men that they teach others also. So those mysteries that we just talked about and how chapter three ends with the mystery of godliness and how we see in first Corinthians, the ministers and the preachers are required by God to be stewards of those mysteries. We've got to teach them. We've got to let all the saints know about. And it's an important, very important thing. And if you think about all that we went through, a lot of that answers false doctrine that may come up by understanding what those mysteries are. So I hope that was a help to you. It was to me. I enjoyed the study. Mm -hmm.